Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Each month, this podcast tackles the topics that are important to pulse crop farmers, including market opportunities for your crop, market access and trade policy developments, innovative agronomic practices, transportation, and a whole lot more. My name is Amber Johnson, and I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications with SPG. Today, I'm chatting with Dennis Tremorin, Director of Sustainability with Pulse Canada, to talk all about market development, including a recent research study that found environmental and nutritional benefits to reformulating U.S. beef burgers with lentils. Thanks for joining us today, Dennis. This study is part of market development efforts of the Canadian pulse industry and the 25 by 2025 strategy. SPG and Pulse Canada both have interest in carrying out activities related to market development. And over the past two to three years, in collaboration with the rest of the Canadian pulse industry, came together to build a collective strategy and approach to market development efforts. This strategy of 25 by 2025, or 25% of Canadian pulses, shifted to new use markets by 2025, outlines audiences and approaches to market development and diversification activities. The program includes outreach to several segments of the food industry, including food service, food manufacturers, processors and millers, researchers, and health and regulatory sectors to promote lentils and peas in a variety of different formats. Dennis, before we get into the details today, why don't you share with us a bit about your background and the work you do at Pulse Canada? Okay, yeah, sure, I can do that. Thanks a lot, Amber. Uh, my name is Dennis uh, Tremor, and I've been working at Pulse Canada for ten years. Um, always in the in the environment area or sustainability area. I'm originally from the Red River Valley in Manitoba, and I went to the University of Manitoba. Um, and did some research and studies in the area of agroecology and soil science. Uh, I've also worked in the hog industry, where I worked on uh, minimizing and managing environmental impacts from agricultural production. And now I focus more so on measuring environmental impacts um, within cropping systems. So with the pulse industry, I'm looking more so at uh, environmental impacts at the farm level and how do we measure that? How do we start to translate that into information that's interesting to the food industry. And now I'm, I'm focusing a lot more on how do we demonstrate um, the positive environmental impact that pulses have within cropping systems and how can we attribute that to food products now. Very interesting and, and really exciting work. I think that's becoming more and more sought after in, in the food industry, I think, uh, moving forward. Dennis, tell us more about this specific study that you led uh, looking at reformulating uh, U.S. beef burgers. Yeah, sure. I can do that, Amber. Uh, basically, what we're looking at here is the concept of reformulating uh, a traditional 100% U.S. beef burger with whole cooked lentils. And in this case, we used a one-third blend of whole cooked lentils blended into a puree that had been incorporated into a burger. And we wanted to take a look at, well, what are the nutritional um, changes that we see within that blended burger? But also, can we also build some numbers around what are the environmental impacts of, of that burger? Uh, we know that plant-based ingredients like lentils and, and, and pulses in general have really strong environmental and nutritional profiles. And we want to see what is the impact of an actual pr uh, product that we can put on the shelf uh, or put in front of, of consumers. And uh, for the most part, what we saw was uh, very positive uh, aspects, both nutritionally and just from an uh, environmental sustainability standpoint. 
So we saw carbon, water, and land use footprints that were reduced by 33% with a one-third blend. Uh, we saw a cost reduction of about 26%, um, depending on the source of beef mostly, and the timing of, of that beef price. And we saw uh, improved nutritional contents with uh, improvements in fiber content, reduction in calories and total fats. Um, so overall, nutritionally, we saw a product that, uh, that went up as well in terms of uh, a, 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 a positive nutritional um, food product for consumers. So that, that's, those were basically the, the outcomes that we saw. We, we see that a blended approach like this has kind of a triple bottom line effect in terms of uh, nutrition, environment, and even cost, uh, which is a pretty attractive thing for either a restaurateur or even a consumer at home. Um, there's something that's attractive here to them um, in terms of sticking with consumers in terms of what their, their goals are. So, Amber, you have done a lot of work with what we call blends in your food service work. Can you explain a bit more about the importance of blends? Yeah, thanks, Dennis. Uh, this study really looks at, as you said, the reformulation of that traditional 100% U.S. beef burger into what we call blends or the combination of plant and animal protein. Uh, and we know lentils being a high source of plant protein and a, and a low-cost protein ingredient are well-positioned in this world of blends and are attractive to food manufacturers. Uh, we know that approximately a third of Americans now identify as flexitarians, which is a way of eating where typically they favor plant-based ingredients, but still do eat meat. Uh, and this is really an audience of consumers uh, really interested in platforms like this. So blending again, animal and plant protein. But this concept really can still appeal to self-identified meat eaters and, and the general population. So uh, work like this really captures um, a good significant portion of consumers, far more than if we'd focused on a vegetarian or a vegan concept, say. Blends can also come in a variety of platforms beyond just burgers. And that same idea of blending can be applied to food products like meatloaf, meatballs, taco filling, pasta sauce, and more. So we really believe this is a, an important vehicle to propel lentils forward while keeping meat on the plate and a platform that the food service industry is already interested in. And we see them being added to both restaurant and non-commercial menus across North America and food service, as well as starting to become popular in retail as well. And actually Whole Foods Market in Austin, Texas had actually predicted that animal plant blended products would be one of the top food trends of 2020. Reformulating common food products with pulses has been long a focus of market development efforts from, for some time now. Uh, Dennis, what is the significance of, of these types of reformulation studies and why is it important to include sustainability in the metrics alongside nutrition? Well, I think, uh, you know, in general, we see food companies that continue to include sustainability as a corporate strategy. And this, but this strategy has been shifting uh, over time and it, and it continues to do so. So we've seen this being applied now to different aspects of the business. I mean, in the beginning, what we see, we, we, we saw was sustainability was being applied internally within manufacturing plants because that's, was an obvious place to save money on energy use. Uh, within plants and then now we're seeing then we saw it being moved to sourcing with uh, major commodities um, especially commodities that were high risk like cocoa or palm oil 
we saw you know sustainability being applied there. Um, and now we're starting to see companies look at sustainability within the innovation side of their business. So companies are considering how they can develop new products um, and new foods, which hit the mark in terms of taste, cost, and nutrition. But now they're adding another lens of sustainability to that um, to that innovation and, and research and development. So, you know, of course, sustainability cannot be looked at alone. And companies are also looking at improving these products nutritionally. And pulses are really contributing to that equation in terms of nutrition and sustainability and even cost in a lot of cases. So we see companies, um, you know, coming to us as, as, as Pulse Canada or, or other, uh, some of our member associations and some of our companies, and they're, they're proposing these type of, of opportunities and asking about the type of ingredients that they can source for these type of innovative products. Awesome. Uh, how, how is this research specifically conducted? Um, tell me more maybe specifically about uh, the life cycle studies of food and reformulation that you worked on. Yeah, sure. Um, life cycle assessment is uh, it's been a, a, a way of measuring environmental impacts in, in kind of engineered systems for a long time. And it's been developed in that way uh, for that purpose. And now, over the past probably 15, 20 years, it's starting to be, it's been being applied to more biological systems. So agriculture and food being um, the most obvious one. And what we're seeing is, you know, basically life cycle assessment is a standardized way. There's actually an ISO standard around developing a life cycle assessment for food products. And it's being used by academics, governments, and industry to look at the environmental impacts of any type of production system. And in this case, it's agriculture and food. Um, there's a big push currently to develop stronger data systems to power this type of analysis, meaning that companies and academics and, and governments are looking for more representative local data and models to predict accurate environmental outcomes. So we're seeing governments using life cycle assessment to take a look at dietary patterns within their country and how this dietary pattern, um, let's say the Mediterranean dietary pattern, may be different from what their current dietary pattern is in a, in a, in a country. Um, a food company maybe look, may look at a specific food product, um, and then governments and academics may also look at you know, the agricultural system as a whole. So this is something that's being used more and more, more but it's really powered by data sets, um, and that can be the weak point. Um, we have a lot of data that we have on the farm or in surveys and elsewhere, and we need to make sure that's connected to types of uh, people who are using lifecycle assessment and uh, the software that they use. Great. Um, so to connect that back to the, the study itself, can you talk a bit about the significance of the lifecycle analysis for this project and the importance of having that regionally specific data to bring to the study and what it means for our Saskatchewan growers? Yeah, I really having data which represents growers locally um, is important as often generic data uh, the data sets can tend to either overestimate or underestimate impacts, or in some case, they include assumptions that are really not accurate at all. Um, so if you look at some of these global data sets, um, pulses are one 
for example, where there's not a lot of strong local data, and um, and in that case, a generic data set may not be may, may not be representative of Saskatchewan producers of lentils, for example. So this is particularly important for Canadian producers, especially in places like Saskatchewan, where where impacts tend to be low uh, due to um, the practices that we employ. Um, so the data we are sourcing and trying to develop for these type of data sets um, will take into account the beneficial practices employed by Canadian pulse producers, such as no-till, which will provide a unique advantage for Canadian pulse production and pulse, uh, Canadian pulse for, uh, producers. We're also taking into account how inputs like nitrogen fertilizer or irrigation may have different impacts in different regions um, or with or with by using different practices. So for example, banning fertilizer has very different impacts than broadcasting fertilizer. And fertilizing fertilizing in a dry, cold environment, like you would see in uh, Saskatchewan, is very different from, uh, produces a, a very different set and different amount of greenhouse gas emissions than in a warm, wet environment, which would be producing more. So we can actually account for all of that with the measurement systems that we've built in Canada, and we're trying to take that into account into, the data, into these data sets. So we're really wanting to make sure that if there's a researcher at Nestle in Switzerland, and they're trying to do some product innovation, and they're looking at lentils from Saskatchewan, that they actually have the proper data to do the, the proper assessment to see what is the benefit of using these lentils um, from Canada versus another region of the world or versus using another product uh, completely. That's awesome. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, highlighting the, the on-farm efficiencies of lentils grown here in the province and linking those benefits to reformulating products with lentils grown here at home is definitely uh, important for our growers in Saskatchewan, absolutely. This really allows us to tell that story of why food companies should create products with lentils alongside diversifying those demand opportunities for our growers here at home into key markets like the U.S., for example. Um, this is important to, to keep keeping our growers really competitive and to become less reliant on main export markets and to diversify into new and emerging markets as part of the 25 by 2025 strategy. Dennis, can you outline how sustainability has really advanced as a focus in the food industry over the past several years? Uh, I think we're seeing, you know, more major leading food companies really incorporate sustainability goals and pillars into their corporate culture and strategy. Um, are, you, are you seeing more of that uh, as, as the years go along? Yeah, I, I, we've been seeing this um, basically since I began working with Impulse Canada and even before. And it, it continues. The, the goals continue to be ambitious and, and, and more ambitious. And we see companies applying their strategies on the ground more and more. So one example is, you know, one of the biggest retailers or the biggest retailer in the world is Walmart. And they have a corporate goal of removing one gigaton of greenhouse gas emissions from their supply chains by 2030. And they're working with their suppliers. They're working with uh, fertilizer companies within North America um, to try to apply this at the ground level with producers um, because it, it includes agricultural supply chains when they're talking about um, these these emissions. Um, there's also companies like, uh, especially on the re on the food service side, like Compass Group, they're really applying um, this concept of plant forward and plant based uh, into their strategies. And one of the reasons why is um, they are accounting for the sustainability benefits of 
selling more plant-based and plant-forward offers to their their customer base as as food service companies that are working in institutions or or, or supporting restaurants. So that that company represents, you know, they, they have operations in the Americas, all across North and South America, and, and into Europe. And we're seeing several strategies to improve these these plant-based food product offerings. And then at Pulse Canada, one of the groups we're working with actually includes this global plant-based foods ecosystem. And we're working with companies that have real interest in sustainability impacts, and, and they're hoping to develop more data sets, like I was talking about earlier with life cycle assessment, to be able to, to look at some of the new products that they're trying to develop as, as companies. So we have companies like there's companies like Unilever and Chobani that are are interested in in dairy um, in dairy-based applications for plant proteins. And there's other companies that are more on the ingredient side uh, that want to make sure that the products that they buy from farmers, uh, they actually have good data that uh, represents those products as well as they start fractionating these ingredients into proteins and starches that they sell into the marketplace. So it's it's continuing, and we, we've seen it at a high level, and now it's starting to be applied into the, into the pulse sector as we're seeing more commercial interest in the products that we sell um, into the marketplace. It's, it's, not, it's kind of a this non-traditional market that we're seeing is really pulling on a new attribute, which is sustainability, which we haven't seen in the past. That's great. Yeah, that presents, you know, great opportunities for both the 25 by 2025 strategy and, and this study specifically as outcomes. Um, as next steps out of this reformulation study, we've We've actually pulled together as a, as a team uh, a PR campaign to leverage the outcomes of the project and promote this research and the outcomes of it to the food industry. Um, so a press release actually went out this week and a series of advertorials um, placed in trade publications will run through August and September alongside a targeted pitch plan to get the, the story and the, and the findings in front of food and food industry professionals in areas of sustainability, but also food manufacturers and, and those working in R&D as well as marketing at food companies in hopes that they consider these results and influence uh, reformulation strategies at their organizations. And, and Dennis, to kind of close here, we know that there's there's many reformulation opportunities beyond just lentils used in blends. So can you share what some next steps are for you and work in this area? Yeah, I will. We, we've done some work already um, looking at um, cereal-based applications. So, you know, specifically wheat-based applications like, like uh, pan breads, uh, breakfast cereals, and pastas. And in some cases, we've seen products in the marketplace um, that contain pulse ingredients. So for those products, we're looking at flour applications. So what does it look like when we incorporate lentil flour or pea flour into a pan bread or breakfast cereal or pasta? And we've seen, actually very similar, we've seen nutritional and environmental benefits to incorporating pulse flours into those applications. Um, as we move forward, when we look at the 25 by 25 strategy, there's other food products um, that we're seeing as being key to help uh, advance our, our goals. And we're trying to apply these type of assessments to those type of food products. So there's other, you know, cereal-based applications. We're looking at corn, corn snack-based uh, applications is a good one. So extruded corn snacks like puffs and things like that are, are a good application that we can study to see if, if pulses have a good nutritional and environmental story. Um, 
And then we're also looking at things like pet food applications that contain peas or other pulse ingredients. Um, we're also looking at perhaps doing studies on, on livestock rations that contain peas and is there an impact on the actual, you know, pork chop, if you look at the environmental impact of that piece. And then there's other other, other applications that we're looking at as well that include more process-based ingredients. So things like dairy-free yogurts or blended yogurts with plant-based uh, proteins, um, and then more processed uh, foods that include pea protein is another, another, these are other applications that we can look at in terms of is there, what is the real impact if we look at this life cycle assessment approach? What, what's the real impact of, of, uh, of these reformulations with some of these new ingredients that are come, coming into the marketplace and are affecting our, our supply chains as we speak today in North America? Awesome. Exciting work to come. And we really look forward to seeing those outcomes and sharing the exciting results with our growers Thanks so much for joining us today, Dennis. We've really enjoyed the opportunity to talk all things sustainability with you. No, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Amber, for uh, for including me in, in this. It's a, good, it's a great opportunity for me to speak to, you know, Saskatchewan Pulse Growers members and uh, to share some of the type of work that we do here at Pulse Canada and then me specifically. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast today. Uh, we hope you join us next time as we cover all things harvest related across the province and how conditions are shaping up for pulses this year. For more information, please visit the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers website at www.saspulse.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes and the Google Play Store.